I thought by my third week being in here and literally having to preach almost on top of a fire, I would have something really funny to say about it by the third week. I have nothing except to think that maybe by the end of this sermon, I will no longer be medium rare. I'll be well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Different kind of well done, I suppose. Good morning. Welcome. God bless all of you. Uh, Great to be with you on this uh, day. We'll look at this important topic. We've been working through this sermon series called Monumental. Monumental, it coincided with the Vacation Bible School theme. And here we are at week three, the final week, just a short sermon series. Two weeks ago, we started as we learned about our God of surprises. Last week, we talked about the fact that God is everywhere, not just geographically everywhere, but in every situation. And what a privilege to talk about this week, God's deep, deep love for us. God's deep love for us. Let me set up the text before I read it for you. The children of Israel have been taken captive. An invading force, the Babylonians, have come into their land and captured them and taken them into their land, and now they're serving as slaves and uh, as servants. And can you imagine the frustration calling out to God, God, please deliver us. Why haven't you come? Seventy years we've been slaves. We've been under this oppression. Where are you, God? So they started to turn away from God the God of the Bible, and started to worship man-made idols, some of the gods of the Babylonians. And that's where we pick up the text for today in Isaiah 49. Zion, that's the people of Israel, that's the Jews. The, The Jews cry out to God and they say, the Lord has forsaken me. That means the Lord has forgotten all about us. The Lord has forgotten me. God responds, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she has born? God says, well, Actually, she may forget, but I will never forget you. See, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. This is God's word for us this morning, friends. Let's come together in prayer. Father in heaven, oh, that we might have a a small taste of the depths of your off-the-charts love for us. We need help understanding this, Lord. It doesn't come naturally, so Holy Spirit, please come and, and draw us to yourself. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. We pray this for Christ's sake, and together we all say, amen. Number one for us today is that God's love is deeper and greater than any earthly love that we can know. God is saying, if you've known incredibly deep, emotional, moving earthly love, that's awesome. But my love for you is deeper than that. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she has born? Think about a mother's love for her child. God says that even though she may forget, I will never forget you. God is telling us that his love is deeper than even a mother's love for her child. A mother's love for her child is not just physical and emotional, it's unconditional. A mother's love for her child is unconditional, and that's God's love for us. It's a gracious kind of love, a gracious love that the world doesn't recognize. They can't even understand it. God is saying, see, a mother's love for her child, that's nothing compared with my love for you. Everything about my very nature drives me powerfully toward you. Unconditional, gracious love. I've shared this story before, and I'll share it again because it's the best illustration, at least in my mind, for God's unconditional, gracious love for us. True story told by a Lutheran pastor named Rod Rosenblatt. He's along in years, so I suppose this took place maybe in the late 50s or early 60s. He was the son of a physician. They were a wealthy family, so when he turned 16, dad bought him a car, and all the rules that come with buying your 16-year-old son a car came with that. Well, he broke all the rules. It was Saturday night. He was out drinking with his friends. They 
have an accident. He totals the car. Well, now the phone call to dad. He's guilty. He's afraid. He's humiliated. All the things that come with this kind of stupid choice that brings us into rebellion. He calls dad and says, dad, I totaled the car. We're all okay, but the car's destroyed. Dad says, okay, sit, sit tight. I'll come pick all of you up and drop the boys off. I'll have the car towed. So that happens and boys are dropped off. So now it's Rod Rosenblatt and his dad at home <laughs> in the front room. The lights are kind of dark. Mom is somewhere else. Rod Rosenblatt knows he's guilty. What will the punishment be? How hard will my dad come down on me? Rod Rosenblatt's dad said, looks like you're going to need a new car. I'll take off work tomorrow and get you another one. That's the end of the story. There's no shaking him by the collar. There's no saying, how stupid were you? You knew the rules. Drinking and driving? Are you kidding me? Do you know how much it cost me to buy you that first car? There was none of that. Looks like you ruined your car. Looks like you'll need a new one. I'll get you one tomorrow. A gracious love that the world doesn't recognize. God says to us, looks like you're going to need a new life. The one you have now is broken because of sin. I'll, I'll sacrifice and get you another one. As a matter of fact, you can have my son's life. That's what it will cost me. God's love for us is so deep, it makes a mother's love for her child look silly. One more point on this idea of a mother's love for her child. What is a child, especially a child nursing at her mother's breast, what is that child? That total child is totally dependent. 100%. Take, 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 take. That's all a child can do. And God embraces that kind of need that we have. Total dependency. Jesus said, unless you come to me like a child comes, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. I think he was talking about dependency. I think he was talking about desperation. There's nothing we can do except that which comes by God's grace. Number two, God shares his love for us in his word. Where do we find this love? Well, first of all, we find out in his word. A different chapter in Isaiah, the prophet writes, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So many places in the Bible talk about this deep, deep love for God. I want to look at this verse in particular because it uses this Hebrew word chesed. It's a beautiful word. We'll spend some time talking about it. I've talked about it before. This word is used 250 times in the Bible. Hard to translate, but one of the ways we can think about it is it's a promise-keeping kind of love. It's a loyalty, and that's a big one. Loyalty to commitment. It's a deep-seated care, um, undeserved kindness. There's generosity in chesed love. There's reliability. Chesed intervenes on behalf of loved ones and comes to their rescue. In chesed love, this love that God has for us, there's devotion. It's love based on commitment or covenant. Now, one of the other ways this word chesed is spelled, at least in English, is with a K. Chesed. And we've talked about this before. To me, it looks like the word cheesed. <laughs> cheesed. And that's helpful for a brain like mine. Because I like cheese. I like when they give you way too much cheese. I like when the recipe calls for eight ounces of cheese, when they put 64 ounces of cheese. I want a lot of cheese. God's chesed love is a lot of cheese. 
There's a woman named Jane Lynch. She's a comedian from Illinois. She's been employed by the state to promote the state. And you've seen the videos maybe, hey, come to Illinois, it's great. And in one of the videos, um, it shows her serving a, a piece of deep dish pizza from Chicago. And I don't know if you can make it out, but that's cheese going from the handle of the, and all the way down. That's a lot of cheese. That's God's love for us. Like way too much. The world says you deserve eight ounces of cheese. God says I give you 64. And it's broad and it stretches and it connects people. I thought it was so interesting that um, Laura spoke about cookies and cupcakes and I'm speaking about pizza and we are the church of carbohydrates. <laughs> but, but I think it makes the point. He gives us a ridiculous amount of, that's, God, that's way too much love. I know. That's who I am. I lay it on thick. It stretches. It connects. It satisfies you. Jacob in the Old Testament is a liar. But God keeps his covenant that he made to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, that he would use his family lineage to redeem the world. 20 years later, Jacob realizes that he is a scoundrel and that he doesn't deserve God's chesed, love. But God says, I don't give it to you because you're worthy, this chesed love. I give it to you because I'm a God of promise and commitment and loyalty. God promises to love each and every one of us. And though the earth be moved and the mountains be shaken, God's chesed love will never leave us. Believe that promise. Bob Goff is one of my favorite writers on this topic of godly love. You might be familiar with him, and he has profound but simple things to say. He says, love pursues blindly unflinchingly and without end. When you go after something you love, he says, you will do anything it takes to get it, even if it costs you everything. God's love for us cost him his son. Um, number three, God's love is more than words, it's action. God's love is more than just, hey, saying, I love you. It's him acting out his love for us. We use this First John 3 verse a lot. Let us not love only with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This was written in Greek. The original Greek is a word for love that you might be familiar with, agape or agape. It's the kind of love that says, no matter what it costs me, I will do it for your good. I want you to be better. I want you to be blessed. I want you to have. So no matter what it costs me, that's the kind of love that I have for you. And that's the kind of love that we find in the love of God. It's deep. It's shown in his action. A pastor wrote this, and I appreciate it. I don't know if it'll touch you like he touched me, but he says, God's love found me as a servant and made me a son. God's love found me as a stranger and brought me home. God's amazing chesed love found me as a foreigner and made me a fellow citizen. God's love found me as a sinner and turned me into a saint. God's love found me dead and brought me to life. God's love found me sick and gave me health. God's love found me broke and busted and made me wealthy. God's love found me as a nobody and made me a somebody. God's love found me as a filthy wretch and made me a star. God's love found me fatherless, adopted me, and he became more than a father. God's love found me motherless, he adopted me and became more than a mother. God's love found me a widow and he became my husband. Love found me barren and made me a fruitful vine. That we might know a small taste of this enormous love that God has for us. I think it would change us. I think it has changed us. I see it in myself. I see it in many of you. Oh, that it would change the world. 
that he lays this thick layer of 64 ounces of God's love on you, changes you, finds you filthy as a wretch, cleans you up through what Jesus did and makes you one of his own. From a Christian website that I often frequent, it's not merely that the perfect God-man died for imperfect people, though such is true as far as it goes. Instead, the perfect God-man died for those who hated his perfection. God died for people who hated him. People like me. He died for those who were openly hostile to him and refused to seek his perfect glory. That's how big God's love is. It even affords love to those who despise him and don't believe in him and, and hope for his downfall. John fifteen thirteen. greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Same text, different translation. This is the very best way to love, to put your life on the line for your friends. Now, usually after scriptures like this, we, there's a call to action. Let's love like Jesus loves. And there will be one coming later. But right now, let's just, and I know it sounds trite, let's just bask in that love. Let's just bathe in it. Let's just be in it. Let's experience it. Let's, let it touch you. Many in this room and watching, I know, are going through garbage times. I wish you weren't. But you are. But even though the earth be moved and the mountains be shaken, God's love endures. He still loves you. He loves you in it and through this. That you would spend some time this week and for the rest of your life just sitting and being in his love. Being crushed by it, being changed. Being humbled by it, being overwhelmed. God's deep, deep love for us. I want to spend a moment or two talking about this um, enigmatic phrase that we read in the text that God has us engraved on the palms of his hands. What could that possibly mean? It's a mystery. So I did some research the best I can come with, up with. I'm not sure if this lands us exactly with the meaning that God had for us, but some of the commentators I read uh, take us here. They talk about that occasionally a master's name would be tattooed on a slave. That person belongs to me. I'm tattooing my name on them. But never the slave's name tattooed on the master. That just wouldn't make any sense. And especially a slave's or servant's name engraved on the body of the master. That never happened. But this commentator says this word, this idea of engraved. And think about that, etching into the palm of one's hand. He says this idea means to use a hammer and chisel or a spike, a spike to grind it in there. What other time can we think of the time a spike and the palms of God came together? God's deep chesed love for his children. Um, Christian songwriter Chris Rice writes these lyrics, Jesus knew the price that love requires. He laid down his own desires. He stretched out his hands to save his friends and said, no other love is higher. And then he writes this beautiful and profound chorus. Sometimes love has to drive a nail into its own hand. Sometimes love has to drive a nail into its own hand. Well, now this deep love of Jesus draws us to discipleship. We know what that means. We talk about discipleship. To be a disciple means to be a follower and to be a learner or a student. And that's who we are. 
crushed and humbled by God's love and drawn to him, repenting of our sins. Yes, Lord, I want more of that love. Make me one of your children. And he says, yes, you're mine through what Jesus did on the cross. And now we are disciple. We've laid down our lives. I no longer have any priorities or an agenda of my own. My agenda is Jesus. I'm his follower. I'm his student and his learner. Old Testament ideas about love are from God, so they're valid. Leviticus 19, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Oh, we like this. This is virtuous. Don't bear a grudge against some of your uh, people and love them as you would love yourself. And that's valid. That's beautiful biblical love. That's old covenant kind of love. But Jesus comes on the, on the scene. John 13, 34, the new command I give you, to love one another, to be sure. But here's how I want you to love one another. As I have loved you, so now you must love one another. Old covenant love, love people as you love yourself. New covenant love, love people as Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? He laid down his life for her. This motivates us to understand and grasp God's deep love for us so that we can love the same way, sacrificially. Amy Carmichael was an international missionary about 130 years ago. Wow, what a faith that I might have a percentage of her apparent profound faith. The language she uses is a little bit antiquated, a little formal, but she says, if I belittle those whom I call, who I'm called to serve, in other words, if I think of myself better as people that I disagree with, if I talk of their weak points in contrast with what I think of as my strong points, if I adopt a superior attitude forgetting what I read in 1 Corinthians 4.7, who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? If I do those things, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Boy, I wasn't going to go here this morning, but in this time of great division, we're passionate about our side. We think we're right, and maybe we have good reason to think that, but if we think ourselves superior, if we think ourselves as the smart ones and they're the dumb ones, if we think of ourselves as the ones who are well-read and well-researched and they're just idiots, if we forget what the Bible says about who we were before Jesus grasped us and loved us and bought us back, if we think those things, then we don't know anything of Calvary love. We don't know anything of what Jesus did to buy us back from sin when we were even his enemies, when we even hated him. What Amy, Amy Carmichael is saying is that we're not disciples. We're just fooling ourselves. So where do we find this kind of deep love? That we might enjoy it, that we might live in it, that we might be the disciples that God calls us to be. First John 4, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And if we love one another, look at this part. God lives in us. If we love one another, God is now in us, and his love has been made complete in us. His love has been made complete in us. We're powered to live and love this way by God's deep love within us. One more scripture to leave with you before we kind of wrap things up this morning. Ephesians 3, I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What curious language Paul is using that I want you to have power. He's saying that you need power. There needs to be an outside force to even allow us to understand this great enormous love that God has for us. And I think that powers the Holy Spirit. 
I think we allow the Holy Spirit to come into us and to help us understand the vastness and the enormity of God's love for us. Well, as we wrap up this morning, and certainly we could have spent a whole year talking about God's love, but we have one 22-minute patch here in the middle of the service. But let's talk about some next steps. These are available at the bottom of your worship outline, maybe things to think about this week. Appreciate. I know that's a word that's not often appreciated. Um, It's more than, really appreciate it. Think about it. Take it in. What could it mean that God has this enormous love for me? I really appreciate this this week and enjoy it, celebrate it, and be changed by it. Be humbled by it. Be reminded that God loved you even in your rebellion against him, even in your sin. Uh, Number two, immerse yourself in the love found in God's word. There it is again, our challenge to you. We say it around here often because it's that important to read God's word. That's where you'll find his love. That's where you'll find his redemption story for you. And number three, it's a quote from this guy, Bob Goff. Give love away like you're made of the stuff. Just do it. Don't look for repayment or care about what happens. Just love people with a love that Christ has given you deep within you. Let's come together in prayer. Father, I hesitate to go here this morning, but I think I must. Our nation is... uh, seems to be ripped apart. So much anger. Um, Certainly issues need to be decided upon and righteousness needs to win. And one side is positive that they have the righteous side and the other side is positive they have the righteous side and it's causing uh, rage and division and the enemy is basking in the ripping apart of people. So I suppose from your word, the answer is love. And that seems simplistic and um, it's like something that wouldn't work. But I believe from your, word, from your word that it will. So help me to love people that I disagree with. People that seem to be mad at me, let me not be mad at them. Let me certainly not use my voice, my language, my, my, my posture, my social media use to, to hurt anyone. But to love. I don't even really know how to do that. So would you help me? Would you help our church? Would you help our nation? Would you help our world? Gosh, there's a war. Don't even really think about that anymore or pray about it. Help us to love those people, both on the invading side and the invader side, I guess I could say it that way. That love would prevail. We need your help, Holy Spirit, so wash over our world in a profound and changing way. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. We pray all of this in the mighty, loving, everlasting, and never-changing name of Jesus. And together we all say, amen.